What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode 99. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me as per usual, Ben Fisher. How's it going, dude? 99 bottles of chaff on the wall. 99 bottles of chaff. You take one down, pass it around. 98 bottles of chaff on the wall. 98. Okay, I'm going to stop. <laughs> How does one put chaff? I guess you could bottle chaff. Like, yeah. I guess you could like shove a bunch of draft commons into a beer bottle, put them up on the wall. Future home decor, something to keep in mind. Yeah, just a bunch of torn up copies of uh, <laughs> Part the Water Veil. Oh, no. Well, we have, 90, we have 99 episodes. We've done this 99 times. How? Yeah, I don't know. It's still mind boggling, which means next week is episode 100, which eh, we're not going to tell you anything about that. You'll just have to tune in and find out. Right. I guess we should plan something special or maybe something we've had planned for a while. I don't know. We'll think about it. Yeah, maybe we'll just ad lib the whole thing. But this week... <laughs> We are doing something we've never done before. Yeah, we've made it 99 episodes without doing something. Without talking about rares. How did we do it? How did this never come up before? I can't believe this is the first time we realized this. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, we've we've mentioned it before that we don't get to do this too often, but like we've never dedicated an entire episode to it. So this week we're going to do a rare roundup on all of New Capenna's rares, or at least the ones that stand out to us in the draft format. But before we get into all of that, our usual housekeeping, if you're not in the Discord, check it out. We are currently collecting questions for our second anniversary episode, which is going to be episode 104. So we've got about five weeks to get those in and we'll collect them from there. And basically that whole episode is going to be a mailbag with some potential giveaways. We haven't figured out exactly how we're going to do the giveaway for that yet, but we will give you more information on that possibly next week. And if you want to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Huge, huge thanks to all of our patrons that continue to support us each and every week. We are beyond grateful for all of you and really can't thank you enough. Perks over there include things like our Draft Doctor series, stickers, show notes, unedited recordings of the show, and our Draft Chaff Hero card for the current set signed by us and sent right to you, the listener. Again, you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Draft Chaff Pod. And if you're listening to this on the day of release, we are hosting our patron office hours tomorrow, which would be May 18th. So check that out. If you're interested in jumping in, we're probably going to be covering a bit of overview on the Arena Open, which is sealed coming up. Well, as of release, just happened this past weekend. So we'll be covering kind of our experience with the Open. And then, of course, any questions you guys have about Limited or the format or anything you want to hear from us that we haven't covered in any of the episodes so far, definitely jump in there and chat with us on there. All right, on to our Cracker Draft type thing. What do we have, Ben? We've got a pack one, pick one. Now, this pack is full of all sorts of cards, white cards, blue cards, green cards. Now, this brings up an interesting point. What happens when you open stuff in brokers, but uh, you know, none of it's very good? <laughs> this pack left me a little bit shaken, and I don't actually think I made the right pick, so let's break it down. First up, we got Maestro's Theater. Classic. I like these. The Maestro's is probably my second favorite house to be in behind brokers. I've had a lot of success with Maestro's. You take these highly, right? Yeah, they're fine. Not really excited to first pick them, but they're fine to get. And you definitely want a few of them by the end of the draft. Next up is Cabaretti Courtyard, the Cabaretti version. Same. <laughs> I would take Maestro's over this one, but I would take both of these under Broker's Hideout, which is a third of these funny little fetch lands in my pack when pick one here. Honestly, first picking a Broker's Hideout isn't the worst thing in the world. And spoiler alert, I think it's what I should have taken. Next up is a Strangle. Yeah, yeah, I know. Broker's Hideout versus Strangle. 
Some might say that I probably should have taken the strangle, but I don't know, man. The red just hasn't impressed me a lot. Green can pair well with white, but Cabaretti, just pure Cabaretti, just as much as I want it to be good, it just hasn't really gotten there. You, you could also use this to pivot into like, or not pivot, but like to go down the Maestro's route as well. It's not necessarily a card that's going to like pigeonhole you into Cabaretti. Yeah, that's true. Next up is Speakeasy Server. That's the five mana three, three. Enter the battlefield, gains a bunch of life, equal number of creatures you've got. It's fine. It's a flyer. You know, flyers are good in this format, but there's better ones. Incriminate is next. The one in the black sorcery, kind of like a like a make your opponent sacrifice one of their choice of two creatures. Tends to be very bad. Have not seen this card ever be good. For the families up next, that's green for instant. Gives a thing plus two, plus two, or plus four, plus four, depending on if there's uh, four or more creatures. It's a trick, but I haven't found this trick super impactful. I would always play... Uh, the one that puts a shield counter on something over this one. Case the Joint is up next. That's the... There's a draw spell in blue and a draw spell in black, and both of them suck. <laughs> it's weird how in some sets, the four-ish mana draw two in blue or black can be fantastic. But in this set, it just doesn't really do anything. Yeah, it's just not not a good set for this sort of effect. I do find it funny that you look at the top card of each player's library... That's one of the wackier things we've seen tacked on one of these. Usually it's like scry two, then draw two, or maybe even worse, like draw two, then scry two. This is just way worse than that. It's basically doesn't do anything. Cab ready initiate is up next. That's the green for one, two raccoon citizen. Look, I want to love this card. Like the art, the fact that it's a raccoon citizen, the fact that he appears to be dual wielding broken beer bottles. I like what's happening here, but uh, it's just not really it. Yeah, the effect is a little too expensive for what you get. And then, you know, you really need to be like putting a ton of counters on this or beefing it up in some other way besides that effect. And now you're looking at spending like seven or eight mana to get like four damage through. It's just, yeah, not really what you want. Mm -hmm. Maybe the strong arm can work. There's just not a ton of ways to put 1-1 one, one counters on other creatures. I mean, there's the stuff that connives that puts them on themselves. But yeah, the, if there were more ways to put counters onto the initiate, it could be stronger. But this just ends up usually being just a 1-2 that you can have the threat of activation for, but it doesn't do too much else. Next up is Buy Your Silence. That's the four and a white sorcery. Exiles a permanent. They get a treasure. Ugh. It's inefficient. And I often find that that treasure excites me more than the loss of my thing disappoints me. <laughs> like there's some strong stuff to do in the late game, especially with multiple colors. Maybe if you're playing brokers and you've been mana screwed the whole game and you managed to land like a four mana four four and then they they buy a silence. You're like, sweet, uh, my mana is fixed now. I can go play the rest of my, my hand and dump all these expensive things. One thing of note is that this does get around shield counters and it's one of the few removal spells it does. So that's one reason to take it. I still don't take it very highly. It's not a great card, but I, I agree with you. The treasure, giving your opponent a treasure in most scenarios is really bad. Like you don't want to do that. Yeah, I'd only really recommend pairing this with the super aggressive white beatdown strategy if you have a ton of Rafine's informants and backup agents, that type of thing. If you do and you use this to exile their blocker and then you kill them on the, on the swing and they never get to cash in that treasure, then that's probably the best way to use this. I like pairing the five mana removal spells with really aggressive game plans. That's a match made in heaven, but Otherwise, this isn't really what you want. Next up is Tavern Swindler. That is the one where you can you can pay life, flip a coin, maybe gain six life. I don't know. This is a joke. <laughs> it's a funny joke, but it doesn't have any synergy in the set. Just don't take it. Syndicate Infiltrators next. That's the two blue, black, three, three flying. And if you have the five or more mana values in your graveyard, it gets plus two, plus two. All right. The five or more thing is actually pretty solid. Like it's easy to do. Much easier to do than I thought it would be. The fetch lands help. 
the Maestro's Theater and the, the crowds like that, that gets you a good way there. And there are a lot of good mana value things that put themselves in the graveyard naturally. More expensive cards that you could blitz, cheaper ones that you want to stack or, or connive off. I still just don't really care <laughs> about this. Yeah, I mean, it seems fine. Like, it's a solid creature when you have that turned on, but I don't know that I would want to first pick this card. Like, if you're already in a blue-black combination of some kind and you think you're going to be able... Like, this is one of those, like, do you prioritize enablers or payoffs more for this sort of effect and like I would want the pay mm. the enablers already set up before I take this rather than take this and hope I'm going to find enough enablers to make it playable mm -hmm. next up we have a Riveteer's Decoy. That's the one in the green, 3-1. Must be blocked if able, and you can blitz it for three in a green. I have a long history with effects like this. I remember it was the very first deck I had in high school. There was a prized unicorn. Do you remember that mono yep. green deck you helped me make? Yep. I was fascinated by a prized unicorn. I realized, wait, you can just build out a board, play your prized unicorn, and then everything has to block this stupid little 2-2, two -two, and then all of your massive beaters get through. Riveteer's Decoy is not that. It just says it must be blocked if able. Not all creatures must block it. That still kind of looks like a prized unicorn to me in some scenarios. And the fact that you can blitz it almost makes it like a four mana removal spell where you draw a card. Of course, it's a four mana removal spell for their worst creature on board. And then you draw a card at sorcery speed. So that's sometimes good. You know, you'll put that in any green deck. You rarely cut it. And it is also just a two mana three one. If they don't present a blocker for the first two or three turns, this might get in for six or maybe even nine damage. But that, I don't know. It's a medium card. That being said, I took it out of this pack. It was actually my pick. In hindsight, I think probably Strangle or I dare say Broker's Hideout would have been the better pick. What's our rare? A rare, this is going to hurt you. Even the score, X, blue, 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 draw X cards, and it costs blue, blue, blue less to cast if an opponent has drawn four or more cards this turn. So... Yeah, I mean, like, you shouldn't play this unlimited, though, should you? I did have an opponent cast it for X equals three. So it was a six mana draw three instant. I mean... Yeah, that's fine. But, like, you you really want it to be, like, X equals four to be really happy with this card at all. And then you're at, you're spending seven yeah. mana to draw cards that you can't play that turn because you just spent all your mana to draw them. It's mm -hmm. pretty terrible when you're behind. I don't love it in this format. If you can get the triple blue discount, which you won't... <laughs> uh, <laughs> if cool. your opponent casts one. If your opponent cast one and you like rare drafted one i'd bring yours in <laughs> that's but, uh, a big brain play right there yeah i mean isn't this just worse than case the joint like case the joint at least you could use on turn four or turn five and feel relatively happy about it yeah i think for this pack i probably would have taken the strangle or the infiltrator or the broker side out i think the infiltrator is good enough that it would probably go ahead of Strangle for me, but Broker's Hideout is probably just the safest pick. It's a really boring first pick, but it's probably just the safest pick. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know. Broker's Hideout, here's the thing. This format seems to be a Broker's format. We're seeing a bit of balance, a bit of shift back in the other direction now. I think Maestro's has kind of risen up as the, the anti-Broker's. That being said, it's still safe. <laughs> you know, like even a, a not very good Broker's deck will still go four and three or five and three. And if you're playing a broker's deck, you want a broker's hideout. Plus, even if you wind up in some combo of like blue, white or green, white, maybe green, white, red or blue, white, black, you can still put broker's hideout in your deck. And, you know, those are other solid combinations to be in. I would just take the broker's hideout here, I think. All right. On to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where we share a high and a low from the past week. So, Ben, why don't you walk us through your Teferi Tibble? All right. First of all, got to shout out the Arena Open. Loved. Let me see if I can make a prediction here. I really had a good time making day two and then going like one and two. <laughs> 
I'm, I'm going to say that's what, what happens. Of course, we're recording this in the past. I don't know what happened. Maybe I'm basking in my riches of, of uh, $2,500 or something. But I guess if so, I would have made a, a big deal about it. And everyone already know that, right? Yeah, that's uh, something. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm making good predictions. You're going to get it in one run because you open the same pool as you did at pre-release, including three overseers and an Elspeth. And then on day two, you're going to make the uh, the 1500. That's my prediction. Yeah, I'm happy with that. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been having fun in this format. I had a really wild game that I want to shout out. I was totally dead to rights. I had nothing left. The only card in my hand was the turn against. I don't even know what it's called. The four mana one that makes a treasure, uh, steals your opponent's creature for the turn, untaps, it gives it haste, all that good stuff. I was playing blue red, <laughs> which isn't a sentence you hear very often in this format. My opponent had a huge board. They, they'd just been beating me down. And I top decked Majestic Metamorphosis. And I looked at my opponent's stuff and I was like, wait a minute, they have an Illuminator Virtuoso with three counters on it. So that, that's a, a four, four double strike. And if it gets... a targeted by a spell or ability, uh, it gains a counter or you get to connive or, you know, whatever. So I stole it, turned it into a base 4-4 flying angel and ended up with an 8-8 flying double strike. And my opponent was at 15. It just, it, it was nuts. I just, I full swung with just that and, and won the game. Just, I'm having fun in this format just based on the wackiness of some of the, the cards. That's awesome. Tybalt this week, barely any time. It's the end of the school year. Teachers out there all know that it's hectic. It's a great time for my phone to basically stop working. Uh, I have a very ancient iPhone and it's gotten to the point where it just kind of dies when it feels like it. I can respect that. You know, it's had a long day and sometimes it just decides to take a nap, but it's not great when you're trying to get stuff done. My keyboard must have gotten the memo that my technology is, maybe they're unionizing or, or something against me. You know, good for them on one hand, but also like, come on guys, I, I need you to work. My C key and my M key, they both started breaking. Basically, every sentence I, I type, I either get doubles or nuns of them. So just don't ask me to spell like macaroon or anything anytime soon. I can't do it. Anywho, what's up with you? That's so funny. Yeah. So for me, I've been really enjoying Explorer. It's the first constructed format in a while, especially like an arena only format, although it is trying to approach Pioneer that I've been enjoying. And it might have something to do with the fact that Pioneer supports spirits and Explorer actually does as well. Uh, so I've been really enjoying it. I have an 80% win rate in best of one with the mono blue spirits Damn. right now. 12 and three, just shooting up that ladder. Maybe I'll try to push for Mythic this season. I've never pushed for Constructed Mythic ever. Mm. Maybe I'll do it. Um, Go for it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how the this sort of the rest of my timing plays out for the rest of the month. But beyond that, I recently just got back from a work trip, which was really fun. It was the first time in a little while that I've traveled at all. So felt good to kind of get out of my area and, you know, not just my office, but like my actual area. And uh, was the trip to uh, Raleigh, North Carolina. So I got to kind of see a new town I've never been to, which was good ate some good food, got to see people. I mean, the company I work for is entirely remote. So like we rarely get to see our coworkers. So it was really nice to just be there and meet some folks. I got to play a bunch of magic with one of my coworkers, which was great. We played some modern. He ended up beating me in a three match bout. Uh, mm. We ended up going, I two owed the first match. He two owed the second match. And then we went to game three on the third match. It was pretty poetic actually. Um, Intense. Yeah. yeah, and he was playing Jeskai Delver, basically, like this tempo-y control deck, which I respect, you know, as a fan of those sorts of things. I felt pretty happy to lose to that, but it was a great yeah, time. Not a green card in sight. So sad. Yeah, no green cards, but it was great. The only thing, my tip for this week is that my flight home was delayed. And it's only supposed to be like an hour-long flight. So when it starts to get delayed and then it's like delayed past the actual time of, like your delays take longer than the flight did, that's uh, never yeah. fun. Yeah, so. Did you consider 
walking. That definitely still would have been slower. Uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was only like a 40, uh, like a 60 minute delay or so. Might have been closer to two hours, actually, now that I'm thinking about it. But it was fine. I made it home and, and all is well. All right, on to our listener question of the week. And our, our question this week actually comes from Twitter. This is the first time we've had a Twitter listener question. So, Ben, why don't you walk us through that one? Yeah, first of all, I just want to say it would have only taken you around... Oh, wait, that's driving. So it would have taken you around 172 hours to, to, to walk. So I think that's pretty reasonable. You would have gotten here just in time for the show, maybe. So actually, I, I'm more shouting out a question that we got on Twitter. Not a listener question per se, but I want to shout out Usums the Flashers. Just great username. Who tweeted this asking, uh, is a bag of popcorn for my egg drop project that I've been doing with my class on the band list? I, I've actually heard of this before. So I mentioned it. I'm doing egg drops with my classes. The, the students are challenged with the task of applying their physics knowledge from throughout the year to craft a lander for an egg to get it from my third story window to the ground safely. People come up with all sorts of things. And some teachers put ban lists out. Some say you can't use a parachute of any kind. I've actually heard before some say you can't use uh, popcorn of any kind because it's kind of like too naturally insulating. But I went with a no ban list. I just went nuts and I said, all right, students, see what you can come up with. And my one class that I did it with already, they went 13 for 13. I was incredibly impressed. And my co-teacher and I immediately regretted promising them uh, like a pizza party if every single student's egg survives. We kind of looked at each other like, well, shoot, this wasn't supposed to actually happen. We didn't think there was any way that was going to work. But, you know, we were proud of them. They did it. So so I'm going to pick up some pizza tomorrow for, for their class. That's awesome. All right, on to our main topic. We've got our new Capenna Rare Roundup. So we're just going to kind of highlight and cover some of our favorite rares through the format, some things that we've seen. And, um, you know, this is just a way for us to get the spotlight on the rares for once. We we don't have uh, too much, too many opportunities for that. So let's get started. Yeah, just again, I can't believe we haven't done this. We talk about rares every once and again, but this is the first time we've decided to vote an entire show to it. Listener, if you're a fan of this, just let us know. If you thought this was boring, we just kind of talk about rares enough in other places. Let us know that too. Too. We love the feedback. But honestly, rares are fun. <laughs> like, there's nothing better than opening a pack and like seeing that good rare. I've said in the past, my favorite formats tend to be ones with exciting and build around rares. And this one has some, but this also has some junk. So we want to talk about all of the above. So first off, one that I actually was very high on in the beginning of the set, one that I said I couldn't wait to try, Angel of Suffering. I have since tried it many times. Don't play it. <laughs> oh man, I was so disappointed by this one. Flyers are good in this format. So yeah, you can play it if you need that that last card or so. But I think the win rate on 17 lands right now is like 51%, which seems to imply that it might be more of a self-detriment to put it in your deck than uh, than actually beneficial. It matches up well against some things in this format. It is a five mana card with five power. And honestly, the best thing you can do is maybe just trade it off. And funny enough, it does match up well against Glamorous Outlaw. That's the, uh, the Maestro's family fixer. Because then instead of dealing two damage to you, it just mills you four cards. And if you're in black, sometimes that's even a good thing. And then they attack you with the Glamorous Outlaw, just block with the Angel of Suffering, get it out of there, and then uh, enjoy your one for one. Have you gotten to play with this one? I haven't gotten to play with it yet, but I think, you know, at first when I read this card, I didn't realize that it milled twice the number of damage you take. So, like, realistically, yeah. by turn five, you've probably got what? Like, if you're lucky, you maybe have, like, 25 cards left in your deck. About, like, yeah. Like, somewhere around there. So, like, they, all they have to do is hit you for, like, 13-ish damage and probably less than that even if, you know, given your draw steps and all that kind of thing. Like, they don't mm -hmm. have to hit you for very much to kill you with this card out. Uh, so you better be pushing some damage really heavily if you're hoping to outpace them by them milling you out, basically. 
Yeah, that's the weird thing. It's almost a better blocker than it is an attacker. Despite being a 5-3 flying, you can't really afford to leave yourself open. Even just getting hit with a blitz creature out of nowhere or something like a uh, like a the welding guy. Three power haste into this. That mills you for six. That's like functionally like a fifth-ish of your life total. Uh, that's kind of scary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, uh, I don't know that I necessarily want to try this out, but I could see myself playing it in Commander. I've got some ideas for it Oh, there. Oh, yeah. No, Commander, this is probably a powerhouse for any kind of self-mill deck, which I know that's probably something that's gross enough for you to want to do. I have died to Angel of Suffering several times. I don't know. <laughs> and to, <laughs> to, to be clear, has better experiences. to be clear, you're saying you've died to your own Angel of Suffering, not somebody attacking yes, you. Yes, <laughs> that is I have died to my own Angel of Suffering while still at a high life total. Because it's turn five, you're going to play your five mana, like five power flyer, right? <laughs> and uh, yeah. the thing is, I think it's, it's a hard card to play. I think I have been a little too hopeful that this would be an aggressive card. I think it's a defensive card and uh, whatever. I'm kind of off it. I'm no longer first pick slamming it like I used to. That's fair. Another one we wanted to mention, Arcane Bombardment. Have you had any experience with this one? I haven't played it yet. No, I haven't even seen it played, to be honest. It's not one that I've seen too much of. Hmm. I did actually get crushed by this card once. My opponent was a Maestro's player. They had, I think, two copies of Light'em Up, two copies of Join the Maestro's, the five mana, make a 4-3 token with casualty two, and a bunch of self-mill. Turns out the self-mill pairs really well with Bombardment. You just end up copying more stuff and having more, I guess, fodder for the cannons. And uh, yeah, it was basically like they were wiping my board every turn. They just kept copying Light'em Ups, just pinging down all my stuff and then making a bunch of tokens. It was pretty impressive, but you definitely need to specifically incident sorcery heavy deck for this to work yeah it seems very build aroundy like if you aren't building with this card specifically in mind you you just shouldn't play it really yeah agreed well it's time for the controversial one bootleggers trash this just works with too few things basically only stimulus package and face breaker so this is a to be clear a mythic that exclusively combos with an uncommon and a rare avoid the trash the trash is the stash the stash is trash we'll say that yeah i think this is a really fun card i like the idea here but it's just not built for this limited environment and probably not any limited environment to be frank like if you're at six mana already and you need to be making a million treasures you probably are a just losing anyway like i don't know you needed so much more for this to actually be worth playing so i was excited for it but it, it definitely hasn't found a home here yet it just plays out a lot worse than it looks like it should yeah it looks like you should be able to play it and then immediately make a bunch of stuff that's just not how it works you do nothing the turn you play it and let's say you top deck a four drop the turn after you play it you might only tap it or functionally use it to make like two treasures that turn you know if you're drawing gas which is what you want to do in the late game anyway this just isn't really conducive to winning the game if you have the stimulus package, your lands basically gain tap to make a 1-1. That's obviously great. Facebreaker, your lands basically gain tap to exile the top card of your library, uh, and you can play it this turn. Obviously great. But yeah, besides them, it's just so narrow. Uh, I'm a little disappointed that it's not a more fun mythic to build around, but uh, that's enough with mythics for now. Let's talk about some of the rares. The board wipes, most of which are at rare. Hostile Takeover has been incredibly good. I've gotten got by this card. I actually got crushed by it at, uh, at the pre-release. And I got to play it for the first time just two days ago. Really, really impressive. When you have it in your hand, you're able to craft your game plan so effectively. Maybe you'll play out like a four power or four toughness creature and then make sure you only ever have one creature in play that's not four toughness so that you're able to make it into a four four. And then the fact that you usually get to smack for like four or eight or however much damage the turn you actually cast it 
while wiping your opponent's whole board, this usually ends up being something like a, a four for one and then allows you to crack through for damage. Like really, really good card. Yeah, I think all of these are pretty solid. Incandescent Aria is another one that like you can kind of play around yourself. Like if you're in the Cabaret Colors and you just generate a bunch of like token creatures and somehow, you know, you, you can kind of craft your game plan to set up a nice board wipe that leaves you with like an army of one ones and then they have to take all this mm -hmm. time to rebuild and you're kind of just chipping in for damage. So that's an option as well. I think that's a little bit harder to make work for you, but these board wipes are just good. I mean, like Corpse Explosion. I don't know if you've been like wrecked by a Corpse Explosion yet, but it doesn't feel great. <laughs> that one's only three mana, right? Yeah. Yeah. Depopulate has also been pretty solid. That one you can also... It's funny. These are balanced for limited, I think. It's just funny that there's a ton of them. Depopulate, you'll usually have a multicolored thing on board. It feels way worse when your opponent is the one that gets to draw the cards, but then I guess they're nuking one of their own things anyway. And Structural Assault is that the red one destroys all the artifacts, and then... Uh, I have a funny story with this one. Deals damage to each creature equal number of artifacts destroyed. I actually had Structural Assault in the deck that I had Bootlegger Stash. So I had been using Bootlegger Stash to make tons and tons of, of treasures because I've just been top decking lands in the late game. That's one thing it is good at. You do make a lot of artifacts in the late game. And I top deck structural assault while my opponent was about to kill me. So I was like, oh, sweet. I can just like, this is going to wipe all my treasures and then it's going to deal like 13 damage or so to everything. I cast it and it dealt, I saw a little like 14 damage go to everything. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh, Bootlegger Stash is also an artifact. <laughs> so it was a fitting end for my experience with Bootlegger Stash. It sat there, it tapped for a million mana, didn't actually do anything, and then died to, to uh, an incidental effect. That's hilarious. Yeah, I haven't played Structural Assault yet. I haven't really built any decks that are like artifact heavy enough to make it worthwhile, in my opinion. So not one that I've explored. But I mean, I suffice to say, all of these board wipes have a home in this format and they're worth thinking about when you're playing and definitely worth putting in your decks if you have a deck that is going to take advantage of the particular board wipe that you managed to pick up. Mm -hmm. Now this is a note out there to everyone that's still playing this format. Just keep those like spidey senses sharp, I guess. If you see that your opponent is like maybe they, they pass the turn and they, they it feels that they could have played a creature or maybe you bounce it in their hand and they didn't play it back or if they intentionally played an instant that was a little bit off tempo. Just to like keep those things in your head. If it feels like you're being baited into committing more creatures to the board than you should, it probably means you are. And maybe you should consider also holding back, finding something else to do with your mana, cast their, another spell, or maybe make them bait it out with a creature with a shield counter or something like that. Again, Shield counter creatures just, we know they're great, but they're even better because they don't usually die to these board wipes. Indeed. One so, last note here, I've found best of three to be pretty fun in this format because you're able to play around board wipes better. I mean, once you see a board wipe in best of three, you know for the next game or two, and you're able to play around it and really negate how effective it is in your opponent's hands. That being said, you can also consider siding it out of your deck in game two uh, because your opponent already knows that you have it, unless it's like a matchup where it's super good. Even just the fear of the board wipe might be enough. Yeah, so one thing that we've noticed in this format, and I've been kind of evangelizing, pun intended, I guess, throughout this entire format, format so far is that flyers are really, really good. And one card that makes flyers even better is Giada or Giada or however it's pronounced. But mm. if you look at 17 lands, this card is one of the best cards in the format. Surprisingly, I didn't expect it to be that good. Yeah. 
<laughs> I wouldn't have either. I think it's mostly the two mana, two, two flying vigilance. That's the good part. Just the two mana, two power flyer is really effective in this format. And then, of course, there's some really other strong angels in the set. Inspiring Overseer doesn't need to be much better, but this does make it better. Celestial Regulator and Metropolis Angel as well. And I suppose the Paragon of Modernity, the, the artifact one, that one a little less so. But the blue white ones, the blue white signposts pair really well with this. The Celestial Regulator cares about having a counter on stuff and it taps it down. It gets the counter itself, then taps something down. Metropolis Angel uh, would come in with the counters on it. So then when it attacks, it's able to draw cards. Just a, a little angel lord almost that, I mean, if you're playing white, you probably have at least one of these other cards in your deck. Right. Yeah, I mean, it does require support. It does require you to have other angels and a handful of ways to kind of get those on the board, but is a nice little dork that helps you cast angels. If you're playing blue-white flyers, you're going to have angels just incidentally. They are in the mm -hmm. colors, so they're pretty hard to avoid if you're playing that vector of deck. And it's a two-mana, two-two flying vigilance by like regardless. So I'm just putting just it in any good. white deck. Yeah, it's just it's just good. So funnily enough, the three Bant Mythics are the best cards in the set. It's the three of the Bant Mythics, at least. Sanctuary Warden seems to be the best with a pretty stupid 70.8% games drawn win rate on 17 lands. That's, geez, uh, that's one of the, the six mana 5-5 five, five flyer, I think, that is that comes in with uh, two shield counters on it. You can remove the counters to make tokens and, and that sort of thing. Just a, a massive flying threat that's incredibly difficult to kill. Yeah, it makes sense <laughs> as to why it's yeah. best. Right behind it, 67.8 game strong win rate is all-seeing arbor. That's the giant blue mythic flyer. I got wrecked by this one in pre-release. It draws you cards. It puts stuff in your graveyard. It locks down functionally one of your opponent's things by reducing its power. Very difficult to die while you have an all-seeing arbiter. And then very easy to win while you have an all-seeing arbiter. <laughs> Yeah, again, big flyers in this format are just really good. And when they have all this extra stuff stapled on them, they're that much better. The numbers don't lie here. These cards are exceptional. And I had the bet the pleasure of playing a Sanctuary Warden once, and it is just chef's kiss. It's a remarkable play. I haven't played with the All-Seeing Arbiter yet, but I think I need to by the end of this format. I'm jealous. I haven't gotten to play Sanctuary Warden or Elspeth. Where are my white mythics? I need them. I have had the pleasure of playing with Titan of Industry, which is the third ranked card in the set at 65.5% win rate. Yeah, it's just really good. I mean, this comes in, if there's a problematic artifact or enchantment that's bothering you, just kill it and make a 4-4. If you're behind on life, just, you know, gain some life and make a 4-4. If you have nothing better to do, make a 7-7 with a shield counter on it and then make a 4-4. Just such an absurd amount of value. And if you ever manage to cast this twice in a game, whether from getting it back from your graveyard or having it bounce to hands or or something like that, it's just insane. Yeah, just out of like trying to throw something else out here, the only non-brokers cards in the top like 10 are mm. Corpse Appraiser, Maestro's Diabolist, Rafine, and Hostile Takeover. So that's like... Mm. pretty much all that's three maestros cards and then one random obscura card here the rest is all brokers in the top of this this list so yeah and let's be honest if you're in brokers and you open rafine pack three you just take it <laughs> yeah yeah for sure there, this is still a three color set they're certainly still able to, to like fix in some of these off slightly off color rares and there's treasure there's other ways to get stuff uh, that sort of thing Speaking of some of the, the best cards in the set, Planeswalkers are pretty solid. I like Elspeth um, conceptually. <laughs> I haven't gotten a player, but I've certainly got destroyed by her a few times. Elspeth, I think, is the one that feels the most futile to play against. 
Yeah, I have had the pleasure, as I like to remind you. And uh-huh. it is just, I missed it the first time I read the card. But like her plus one puts real counters on things. It doesn't just give them like flying for the turn or vigilance for the turn. It puts counters yeah. of that type yeah. on your creature. So it's just permanently, here's a flying first strike vigilant plus three plus three thing. Because, you know, it, giving it flying isn't enough. It also has to get a plus one plus one counter. So yeah. I don't know. It, that's pretty bonkers. I've never really bothered to use the minus three or even, I mean, I've never gotten to the minus seven. My opponents always scoop before I get to use it. So... <laughs> Yeah, it just tr- picks up the turns all of your existing creatures into Baneslayer Angels. What more could you want? Yeah, it, I mean, it, it takes a few turns, but in the meantime, you're smashing face and you're turning like big ground threats into actual flying attackers. And then, you know, this is another card that Giada pairs really well with. If you manage to do that ultimate, like, yeah, okay. <laughs> all right. Well, that's <laughs> just silly. But the fact that you do get to pick from flying, first strike, lifelink, or vigilance, those are some of the best keywords in the set right there. If not the best keywords in the set, maybe add on trample or something like that but flying is functionally trample first strike and lifelink just give you such flexibility on the board first strike and vigilance even both help you stabilize if you're running behind making a three power creature a first striker will mostly shut down the board and then if you are just needed to gain some life lifelink or if you need to pull really far ahead flying or close at the game flying even sometimes you just cast elspeth jump one of your creatures for a turn and swing for the win yeah oh it's so flexible i mean from behind you give something lifelink stabilize you give something first strike stabilize then you give it vigilance so you can start attacking while it has first strike and then you also get to block so you don't get too far behind then you give it flying and they can't block it and it just gets out of hand really fast at that point it's like a six six it's it's a bane slayer yeah Um, and that doesn't even account for her minus three which i mean did you ever use it to go i'm sure if you would down ticked you would have immediately found an inspiring overseer right you had three of them in that deck (laughs) and that deck i probably would have and i'm sure there were situations where it was probably correct for me to have done so but it was just so easy to win with the plus ones. Like, it just didn't matter. Mm-hmm. Well, I have a story for Obnixilis, which I believe is the second best in the set. I had a lot of fun with this one. I ended up picking it up in a bit of an off-color splash. But, but like we said, it's a fixing set. There are plenty of ways for me to cast it. Casualtying Obnixilis is way better than I thought. I thought this would be the kind of card where, sure... You could casualty it, but you'd probably rather have a creature on board. Plus, like the greater power a creature you sacrifice, the greater loyalty it comes in with. Do you really even care about having, say, like a, a one mana loyalty Obnixilis? Yes, you absolutely do. Obnixilis, the best way I can describe it is it's around three mana to, on average, make something like two to three one one devils and drain your opponent for like 10 and you gain around 10. And that's for three mana over the course of several turns. But the devils do a really good job of protecting both of them. I assume you have something on board by this already. The decks where Ob goes best are the ones where uh, there's lots of little things running around, uh, little one ones or two twos, uh, corrupt court officials and lackeys that you can use to chump and you don't really care about uh, or even use to casualty with Ob. Obnixos just drains them out way faster than you'd expect, especially if you have two. Yeah, it's having casualty on a planeswalker is kind of cool. I, I like that you get to do this sort of thing where you can just dupe it and then have an extra one or however many. Yeah, I guess you only get the two, but then it's how big is it? But yeah, you definitely uh, get a lot of extra value from just having the second one around, whether it's on one loyalty or five or whatever. You definitely, and who, frankly, who's going to casualty a five drop or a five, five power creature, but you still get tons of value from that second one. So yeah, Ob's been pretty cool. Vivian is the least exciting, I would say. I haven't seen the plus one mode, the birthing pod mode used to, I don't know, anything too surprising. It's usually like, go get a uh, sack your four drop, go get a five drop or sack your one, two drop, go get a 
three drop. Nothing super exciting. Honestly, I think Vivian is best just taking and making a bunch of four fours. Make a four four ride every turn. That is good. <laughs> yeah, it does feel a little weird when like when Elspeth is like, give your thing plus one plus one and flying and give it first strike and give it all these other things. And Vivian's just like, here's a four four, vanilla four four, vanilla four four. But one of those can kill you much faster than the other if you don't have a board. So Vivian's great from behind. You just it stabilizes pretty quickly. And then, yeah, you do have the option to do the birthing pod thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I don't see it being all that relevant in a lot of limited games, but sometimes your deck will support it well and you'll be able to cash in a bunch of like one drops and and just start chaining stuff up the line. But I don't know that I've ever seen the second plus used really. The mill five, then put any number of creature cards into your hands. Yeah. Yeah, mill five is a lot. You can't do that too many times. I think it's just probably best is just four rhinos on a stick. Right, I agree. So the ascendancies are a cycle we wanted to mention. They obviously have one for each family and there are a lot of work to cast. They cost three mana each, one of each of the, the colors. And that kind of implies they would come down on turn three or later. Sometimes you want to slam them on turn three, but sometimes you don't. I don't know. I guess we should just talk about them. Broker's Ascendancy is by far the best of them. Uh, that's the green, white, blue for an enchantment. Put a 1-1 one, one counter on each creature you control and a loyalty counter on each creature on Planeswalker you control at the beginning of your end step. Honestly, this will mostly just win the game on the spot. It's pretty reasonable to concede to like, if your opponent has three creatures and, a, and they play a Broker's Ascendancy, even if you have removal spells in your hand, what do they do now? Now all of their creatures are threats. All of them have to be killed because they're all growing every turn. Uh, yeah, it gets out of hand pretty quickly. The, are any of the other Ascendancies even playable? <laughs> yeah, I'm not so sure. I think Broker's Ascendancy, like you said, is really good. And the 17 lands data backs that up. The other ones just don't seem worth playing really certainly not worth splashing and you've got to do a lot maybe they're build arounds but i haven't seen them in use enough to actually be able to tell like when they're best used in practice but i haven't put too much thought into them because frankly they've been a bit underwhelming let's just address these in turn right cabaretti is maybe you draw a card yeah that's i mean that's pretty much it yeah yeah maybe you draw a card maybe you scry one Riveteers is sacrifice-based, and sometimes Riveteers decks don't even come together with that much sacrifice at all. Or sometimes you have your Blitz creatures, but you'd rather just play them out in the early game. Maestro's Ascendancy, this one I could see being strong if you had a deck similar to what we mentioned earlier about Arcane Bombardment. Those two might go decently well in a deck together. But that one lets you play an instant or sorcery spell from your graveyard each turn by sacrificing a creature in addition to paying its other costs. If you have a ton of fodder and you have a ton of instant or sorceries, I can see this maybe being a solid top end. It kind of doubles as like a card draw spell. Maybe pair it with a bunch of uh, expendable lackeys, just things that make multiple bodies. But I've never seen it in play, to be honest. I had it played against me once and it wasn't good. It just didn't, like, they didn't have a deck that was able to make enough creatures to make it worth playing. Mm -hmm. Now, one time I did see my opponent play Obscura Ascendancy. And get this, they made three spirits off of it. So, so they played Obscura Ascendancy. They played a one drop and then a two drop on the following turn. And then the turn after they played a three drop. It was genuinely pretty impressive. The problem though, was that they were, they were playing like one and two drops on turn five, six, seven. Exactly. Uh, I just killed them. I just killed them with my four. I think I was playing a, uh, an obscure deck. I just started slamming the uh, adjudicators and making their spirits unable to block, slamming it with four fours. It was pretty impressive. They managed to get three tokens off of it because I didn't think anyone would ever get a single token off of this in my time playing this set, but people are pretty creative out there. I'm glad I got to see it kind of work. Well, well, let's be clear. That is the ceiling. Like that is as good as this card gets. 
one drop, well, two drop, three drop that. after playing it. Like realistically, oh, that's yeah. as good as it gets. You can't really do much better than curving out after, but but it makes you reset, right? So on turn three, how often in limited when you get to turn three, are you thinking I'm going to play this three drop and then I'm going to go back to turn one and start my <laughs> curve all over again? Like nobody yeah. wants to do that, and it's a great way to lose games of Magic. So I like what it's trying to do. I just don't think it's any good in limited, really. I remember Imminent Doom, the mono red enchantment that was something like this, where if you cast a one drop, it would deal one damage to any target. You cast a two damage to any target, and and all way up the chain. I remember that one was semi-playable. You had to be very brave and a little bit nuts, but you could make it work. Maybe this is something similar if you can come up with a deck that feels perfect for it, but I think the one and two drops are in such high demand in this format. I think you might struggle to get the critical mass of those. Yeah, I agree. So here's one to chat about. Mysterious Limousine. Stop passing me Mysterious Limousine, folks. It's too good. <laughs> I'm just going to keep taking it. I think people read this as a flickered card, which it is. When it enters the battlefield, you can exile a creature that either you can Control or your opponent's control. Typically, when you first cast this, it's just going to be one that your opponent's control. This is just a five mana oblivion ring that can attack, right? It's like a giant banisher priest vehicle. Am I missing something? Is it worse than I think? I mean, you can attack with it. You don't have to take the thing that's under out and put a new thing in. You can choose to leave the existing thing under. And sure, if it dies in combat, they get it back, just like a banisher priest. So you got to be kind of careful. But I don't know that this can rebuy your own enters the battlefield effects. Really, really good with corrupt court official. Am I missing something? I think the only thing to mention on this card really is that it is an artifact and artifact hate is fairly prevalent in this format. Like it's not difficult to find things that blow up artifacts. So it's something to keep in mind. But yeah, I think it's better than most people are taking it. Mm-hmm. I've gotten nuked by a citizen's crowbar here and there. Anyway, I take limousine pretty highly. I think it's a first pickable card and maybe I'm in the minority, but I'm interested to hear if anyone else out there has done something wacky. It feels almost like the teleportation circle of the format, where if you build around it correctly, you can really do some wacky stuff. Let's talk about the hideaway cycle. Rabble rousing is by far are my favorite. I adore rabble rousing. I have never passed it. I never will. You can splash it. White weenie aggression seems to be the best thing to do in this format, whether you pair it with green or blue or red or whatever. This is the top end that you want for that deck. Because even if your opponent has gone one for one with most of your stuff, if you even have just like two creatures that can attack after you've cast Rabble Rousing, you win the game. That's just it. You just win the game. Yeah, that's fair. I think the other hideaway cards have been pretty bad, (laughs) in my opinion. They just don't seem really worth playing all that much. I will shout out Fight Rigging. I think Fight Rigging is a slightly worse Obscura Ascendancy. You only get to put a counter on one thing. You get the payoff of casting something for free eventually, I guess. Wiretapping, Cemetery tampering and widespread thieving wiretapping will draw you an extra card a turn but you have to take a turn off for it and it's just not as good in this format as it's been in some others cemetery tampering and widespread thieving i think are pretty unplayable thieving i have actually tried a few times and i had the perfect thieving deck i had so many multicolored cards i was even playing the uh the little three mana four one that gains double strike if you have two or more multicolored creatures and honestly even when you cast your multicolored cards they tend to be so expensive Even if you're casting like a multicolored three drop, you need eight total mana for this. Sometimes you're using those treasures to cast your multicolored cards. You don't really want to use them to to pay all that mana. I feel like this should have been like then if you have five or more treasures, you may play the exiled card without paying its mana cost. Isn't that like a much more reasonable goal? Yeah, because you do need those multicolored cards first. So you're yeah, like you said, you're looking to spend like seven or eight mana in the turn. And I think so. I think that would have been a nicer way to do this. I don't really understand why they had to do the whole Wuber thing like it doesn't really make any sense to me even from like a flavor perspective i don't know understand where they came up with that but yeah 
Mm-hmm. It might have even made more sense as like a pay red, 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 something like that, so that the off-color decks couldn't abuse this too much. I don't know. It's just a mess design-wise on this one. But the green one and the white one, the hideaways, both excellent. Yeah, so now we've got, we're going to zip through a few of these uh, kind of one-off cards. We've got some of the bigger kind of mythics and such. Shakedown Heavy and Reservoir Crack- Kraken. Kraken has been incredible. I've seen that played a few times. Never gotten to play it myself, but they seem very, very good. Love the mm-hmm. Kraken. I, don't, I haven't seen Shakedown Heavy personally. What I love about these two is that opponents often won't know what to do with them. Sometimes they'll activate the abilities without meaning to or regret meaning or regret activating it soon after. But these ones I found pretty effective. Big fan of Workshop Warchief, just a sometimes a better Thrag Tusk. The fact that it dies from a 5-3 trample into a 4-4 and you gain some life and you can blitz it if you need to. Just a really high value card. It pairs up really poorly against cards like Voidrend and Endless Detour. These two I think are both just fine. These are the rare removal spells in Obscura and in Brokers. I would take a Inspiring Overseer over either of them. Oh, yeah. I mean, Inspiring Overseer is just bonkers good in this format. It's taken higher than a lot of rares, actually, and it performs better than a lot of them, but they're fine. Like you said, they're just fine. You're going to play them in your Obscura decks and be generally pretty happy about it, but they're not necessarily high picks. Mm -hmm. Now, before we go, I do want to know, what is your favorite rare in the format? Favorite rare in the format, I think, and maybe this is cheating, but it might actually just be Undercover Operative. That's the Mm. two blue-blue shapeshifter that just comes in and copies things, but you get a shield counter if it copies one of your own things. Good pick, um, yeah. It's a solid card, and it it lets you kind of kind of pick the best of both worlds, right? You can copy one of their things if you really want to get one of their big things or, or one of their bombs or whatever. But then you also can just duplicate something on your board, and then it also has the added little bonus of having a shield counter. Plus, when these copies enter the battlefield, they pick up any of the ETB effects that the copied card has. So, you know, you might be getting multiple shield counters if it's a card that ETB didn't get, gave itself a shield counter or something like that. So, Really cool, uh, a card that I've been a big fan of. How about you? I'm on Rabble Rousing. I just really like this card. It's something about making tons and tons of 1-1s going really wide. Even if their opponent can wipe the board, just redeploy a creature, start attacking, and you get right back into it. I love this feeling of inevitability. Plus, you can put something fun under it. And I particularly like putting a, a functional removal spell, either a literal removal spell or something like an adjudicators underneath to make that big swing uh, a really good one. Awesome. Well, that about does it for us. Hope you enjoyed this kind of walkthrough of some of the rares that we've been having fun with. Let us know in the Discord your favorite rares in the format and uh, anything that's been kind of a surprising rare or maybe one that underperformed for you that you weren't expecting. We'd love to hear about it and get a conversation going around all these cards that we don't really typically give too much thought, at least here in Draft Chaff land. (laughs) That said, if you're not in the Discord, Definitely jump in there. The link to that's in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chaff pod. Again, huge thanks to everybody who's been supporting us there week in and week out. If you'd like to reach out to us outside of the Discord, you can find the show on Twitter at draft chaff pod and Ben is at betafish1. That does it for us. We'll talk to you next week. See you. All right, one last thing before we bounce. I've been watching this show, Our Flag Means Death. Absolutely love it. So much fun. It's a show about pirates. Weirdly enough, it's directed by Taika Waititi, who who many out there probably know. Yeah, great. Very funny. Hilarious show. It's hard. I could summarize it very easily. It's a funny pirate show, but a little more nuanced. You take a pirate that wants to be a nobleman and introduce him to a nobleman that wants to be a pirate. Shenanigans ensue. Highly recommend. And it's almost, it almost makes me want to make a pirate themed commander deck, but uh, pirates are just kind of bad. (laughs) I don't know about that. Thank you.